0: Bowie versus Dillion Is this year when I'm glowy? Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain oh, it's, it's time for Bowie, Bowie versus Dillian
1: to Bowie versus Dylan Whoop. today we're taking you deep into 1971 uh, a smoky era oh yeah. of a mysterious mis- I, I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're going straight Mystery to the bank baby wonder,
1: maybe that's not really how we describe 1971 but it was a good year at least for Bowie so I'm Charlie and I like Bowie
0: and I'm Jake and I love Dylan.
1: Kicking things off, as I already started saying, about in 1971, a year of magic and wonder. Uh, Jake, <laughs> you're going to kick things off this month, well, this week, was gonna...
0: this time—not
1: month or week, just this episode. I need to get my stuff together while you're
0: doing this. Go. I'm going to talk for approximately 15 minutes while you get it together. Okay, that's, that's enough. Time first, to get though, first I would like you to picture yourself, Chaz. <laughs> you are. I always do. I always do, Jake. <laughs> you are Sarah Dillon. You are Bob Dylan's first wife, mother of his five children. Including you, Jacob Dylan, right? Huh? Oh, yeah, including I, his fifth... I'm proud of and I love the most. His fifth... Well, your fifth and most beautiful by far child. Jacob <laughs> with my, a K. It's in my head just right now, it's just you know. Oh, look at his... Just look at those piercing blue eyes. You can it's hardly. It's my head right now. It's, okay, so you're picturing yourself. He's a baby, by the way, in this scenario. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so you and Jacob Dylan are gazing down uh, on the street where you live in New York City, Greenwich Village. You had previously been living in upstate New York, in Woodstock, New York, as we have discussed on this very podcast. Right until, the,
1: until the Woodstock Festival ruined
0: it, right? Yep. Oh, and um, Freaky Dylan fans right having sex in his bed they ruined it for you sarah <laughs> right. because you That's were up true. there just living your cool country life your old country uh, ways your husband bob you might remember him uh yeah i met he was just twice. wandering around the woods with his bad beard and like sly smile you know uh crooning crooning <laughs> croonin away <laughs> it's fro. i'm picturing it's fro right now yeah it was a little bit it was a little bit like tame like as if his lifestyle uh you know, ran parallel to what his hair looked like. I think when it's really out there, he's like taking Benzedrine for breakfast. But when it's like, oh, slick down, he's like a family man. He's cool. You really like him at this point. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but anyway, you can't live there anymore. They found you. And so, what do you do, or what does Bob do, really? <laughs> Bob moves you right down to Greenwich Village. Nope. You go back to New York City in the heart of Greenwich Village and you get yourself a duplex. Uh, Right on the uh, McDougal Street, which supposedly is a very busy street, and your front door literally opens onto this busy street. And so uh, not only have they found you once again, like, immediately, the freaks and all that stuff, but you look down with your baby, Jacob, uh, onto the street. You hear a sound, and that sound is, Free Bob Dylan! Free Bob Dylan Free Bob Dylan And you think what? He's right he's right here he's not he's not imprisoned he's just he just lives here and you think to yourself why 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 would I have to free Bob Dylan And you look down and you see a portly gentleman, his name is AJ Weberman, and he looks up to you and he says, "Free Bob Dylan from himself <laughs> And that's when you that's think... Weird. This is really weird, and it was really weird, Chaz. I have to open with this. Bob had a uh, very interesting 1971, partly because Ah. of the portly, rotund gentleman named A.J. Weberman. I only say that because everything I read about him, they very specifically sure to say that he was portly or rotund or large. So I don't know if he was actually really big. Some
1: other polite way of saying he just yeah, a but big like, old
0: fat guy? <laughs> a really annoying, like really abrasively annoying. I, I feel like that description was... Was only mean towards him, you know. Like if he was a nice guy, they wouldn't even put it in there, probably, right? Yeah, they wouldn't even mention that he was. No, know, but like maybe, there was maybe something. A bit overweight. There was something about his essence that was like, oh, he's so portly. <laughs> Did he have like a
1: big handlebar mustache? Uh, like a terrific,
0: no, I think gentleman. he. I think he was kind of baby faced. I just, I think everyone hated his okay, face. is but he had kind of a. He had the. Um, he started the Dylan Liberation Front. Oh man, we're gonna come right back to this, I guess, about, You know. Oh, this is excellent. So uh-huh. he wanted—he keep some mystery here. He wanted uh-huh. Bob to liberate himself from himself. The the yeah. going the going feeling was that Bob was having a very fallow period. Um, yeah. Since he had not released an album, you know, every five months, basically, or at least uh-huh. not released a cl- absolutely classic album every five months. Yeah. Okay. He had come off of uh, Nashville Skyline. And then he had come off of... 69, yeah. Yep, New Morning in 1970, which is a very good album, um, but yeah. not, not a classic as people wanted it to be. They wanted him to go back to these topical songs. They wanted him to talk about something. They wanted him to write his best work as if Blonde on Blonde was not enough of a career peak. They needed, uh-huh. him, they needed him back, even though he had been steadily releasing quality music. Okay. And so he developed this AJ person, um, Portly. I don't know if you knew that about him. He developed... Yeah, I uh, Rotund? Okay. Does yeah, Rotund okay. work rotund? for you? Yeah, 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 okay. He developed the Dylanological method, and he started <laughs> interpreting Bob's lyrics, um, and eventually... Now, I the, you get like a master's
1: degree in Dylanology or something.
0: Correct. So that
1: sounds like the a correct waste of your life and money.
0: Well, he your life, life so much as your money. He definitely invented it, and it was a complete waste of time. But it is an interesting <laughs> story. Um, and then now, people are a little split, or at least they were at the time, whether this guy was a nut job or whether he was a fame seeker. And this is why he was doing all this. He says that he was just after the fame after he apologized like 15 years later or whatever. Uh huh. But he began to I'll think. Say
1: a little of column A, a little of column B. Right?
0: You know, you may be onto something there. Uh, how about the Weberman method? Let's get into that. We could interpret what he says about the Dylanological method in order to. Never mind. He thought, <laughs> he thought that Dylan it. was beginning to write songs about him and that they that um, they included all of the references were about him because he was really getting at him, you know. He was going to bring him <laughs> back to himself, and so Dylan was reckoning with this guy. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think that happened. As
1: always, I'm pretty sure Dylan had something better to do.
0: Now, this is, I think this is an interesting thing about Dylan at this time. As I said, wow. he, was, he was definitely dialed down. He was trying to be a good dad. He wasn't running around on tour all the time. He was really reticent to go back on tour and have that lifestyle again. Yeah. So he actually like politely went downstairs On a number of occasions to be like Hey man, what's, what's this all about? You know, he actually talked <laughs> He actually talked to him uh-huh. um, He sat down and agreed to have a tape recorded conversation With AJ, our friend AJ And uh, uh-huh. AJ promptly sold it to uh, Rolling Stone And the entire transcripts were published in Rolling Stone Wait, who uh, published it? Rolling Stone did
1: No, I mean, who, who sold it? Oh, AJ Dylan or
0: AJ? AJ Okay Of course he was like, "Hey man, well, figured, we just but yeah. we just got to talk about this." And then he he made a buck. You know, he made a he made yeah. a quick buck. Um, my favorite part of this story is that AJ um, was going through Dylan's garbage a yeah, lot, as, a, as one does a lot. Um, and he uh, he found so many interesting things in there, such as like scraps of paper and also uh, dirty diapers. And dog poop And yeah, so well, Dylan yeah. Dylan in response To all this Started putting Extra dog poop In the garbage Because Weberman Was going through That garbage Like pretty regularly So he knew He was going to Hit his mark Good one <laughs> I thought that was great Alright so I have A quick multiple choice Question for you About this
1: Yeah The answer is All of the above
0: Okay Alright Well we'll see About that So So AJ Um went on to an illustrious career uh, publishing all kinds of terrible books um, about Dylan and about the methods and all this stuff. Um, I'm going to give you multiple choice. and this is kind of a this is a reverse No, no, it's not. We're going to go straight, multiple choice. Which one of these did he not invent? OK? A: Dylanology, B, garbology, C. Tarantology. or d all of the above all of the above mm, I'm sorry Tarantology he did not invent
1: oh but he invented garbology
0: he sure did and he wrote a book about like, it and he published it Gre- like credit Garbo <laughs> no like garbage <laughs> oh just garbage Oh, <laughs> it's garbage better, gar- garbology Greta Garbo
1: is going to come back when I'm talking to him
0: <laughs> this is weird man <laughs>
1: <laughs> sometimes things just light up in an interesting way
0: I would like you to go on Amazon and buy Garbology because it is actually Garbology he actually is published still, a book it is still in print. Oh, I don't, oh, really I I don't think anyway. I don't think so. So uh, that's AJ um, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> he had been he had been harassing him since 1970. So I'll I'll mention him again. But this was his big year. This was the this was the Dylan Liberation Front, uh, the Free Bob Dylan. There is
1: a book called Garbology in Print. But it's by Edward Humes.
0: Okay, that's. I don't think that's the one. <laughs> and Joe Barrett. Okay, somebody else then. Unless right, they were co, right. co-conspirators on the 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 DLF <laughs> it was published tip. Published in twenty twelve, so yeah, probably not then. And they probably, probably should have done a little Google search before they before they called it that. No, no, no. <laughs> all right, so um. Dylan's biographers often refer to 1971 and 1972 as fallow years. These are like lost years. And I said that's partly because he... he, wasted his time. Yeah, he wasted his time, but I'm about to... I'm about to... Well, he was restless too, uh, you know, with with his musical stuff. Um, But I'm about to tick off like a bunch of important things that he did. So I think in retrospect, it doesn't seem like it was fallow at all, but maybe at the time... People were placing really unreasonable expectations on him, like in a big way. They wanted absolute genius, you know, double albums every three months or something. I don't know what well, yeah. I don't know Tell what exactly all. they wanted. Case I want th- that from him now. Yeah, well he's doing that. It's called triplicate, and you should get it right now. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> something, hey something man, now. you know what? When twenty seventeen comes around, triplicate. It's gonna be all the rage. <laughs>
1: It will lose to a dead David Bowie <laughs> oh, Just telling you Ouch man <laughs> And by that I mean Sweet archival stuff coming out
0: Well you just wait 19 years Till everyone decides That this was Dylan's Greatest achievement of all time <laughs> And it gets its own And he's still alive Bootleg series Still touring okay. uh, He And what's curious about everyone's, you know, take on all this is that one of the singles that Dylan released that year was called George Jackson, which was a completely topical political song about a man, um, that was killed in prison after having been in prison there for what appears to be sort of spurious claims or a, you know, misdemeanor kind of a thing. all right. So he wrote a song about that that guy and it's a very good song. Um, now... Uh, in the year 1976 episode, we talked about Dylan's kind of polarities as to his topical writing after okay. after the 60s. So one was um, Hurricane, which was about the boxer who was uh, wrongly accused of murdering three, I think, people. Okay, okay so that w- that's Dylan's right side of the political debate. And then the wrong side... I,
1: I'm, I'm recalling one about some like, mob boss or something.
0: That's Joey. We've talked about Joey way too much but I have to bring it up again. <laughs> so, because here we go again. George Jackson comes along and it looks like it's a little bit more Joey than Hurricane. Okay. Uh, this guy apparently. Now, I do not want to cast aspersions on anything that goes on here about this man or like about the politics of it cuz I don't know the politics right. that well. I'm not making judgments about it. I'm just like saying what I know were the were the problems with it. Um, apparently this guy was not such a great guy, at least once he got to prison. He was, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that he deserved to get murdered in prison. Um, okay, yeah. But there was a little bit of, you know, question as to the character of this man and whether he should get, like, an elegiac, uh, you know, anthem from Bob Dylan. Uh huh. Very, uh-huh. very Joey-esque in it. Um, it did chart at number 33, and it got covered, like, a million times. It was one of his... Thing. So, it's a good song, and I, I'll give it points later. He did another single called Watching the River Flow, which was a new recording that he put on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. He compiled it himself, and he recut several of the Basement Tape songs um, for his own versions. He wanted versions of the songs that people have been covering the most. Those include... I Shall Be Released, You Ain't Going Nowhere, Crash on the Levee. And then he recorded some newer songs called Watching the River Flow and When I Paint My Masterpiece. Um, He did two separate recording sessions, one with Leon Russell, who is a rock and roll, visionary, kind of behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, He wrote the song, oh, that one that Elton John sang. Your song? Uh, Your song? Your song, yeah, you know that one. Oh, I know the song. I thought Elton John wrote it, but I he never, did not. Yeah, looked into it that much. Leon Russell did, bro. Man. So he recorded nice with him, Leon. and he recorded with his with a pal that he had from the old Greenwich Village days, who apparently still lived there, called Happy Trom. That was his name. Happy Trom. Happy Trom. Happy Trom played a bunch of different instruments and sang backup on these newer songs. Now, Greatest Hits Volume Two debuted at 14 in the U.S. and number 12 in the U.K. and it became technically. Bob Dylan's greatest selling album Of all time
1: (laughs) That's really weird
0: Five times platinum Now I say technically And you may You may know What I'm about to say It was a double LP And they Oh they count it They count it double So it probably sold 2.5 mil Uh huh Uh, But they gotta say It's his best selling It said on uh, Wikipedia That Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 1 Also sold five times platinum Five mil Okay So that's got to be his greatest, that's his best-selling one. Um, But anyway, it was kind of a monster hit, and part of it was these new songs that he put on. There are new recordings of songs that he put on. There were very excellent. He demanded that he have an entire side dedicated, an entire LP side um, dedicated to these songs. And these are kind of like... I was thinking about how to describe their place in his canon. Because they... They're like some of my very, very, very favorite Bob Dylan songs, including... Okay. You know, I, mean,
1: I sh- the basement tapes are legendary.
0: They are, but these... Non-giant
1: Dylan fans like myself.
0: These particular recordings of them, though, are excellent. And this is why it's weird to me to hear that people were like, eh, you know, Bob, what are you doing? Like, these are great. <laughs> You're doing this. Come on. The and then the one political song he wrote, they're like, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> So, like, yeah, in in, in, sure. partic- in particular, I Should Be Released and You Ain't Going Nowhere and When I Paint My Masterpiece are just fantastic. They're great writing. They're great recordings. Okay. And uh, I kind of think of this, uh, like, the paradigm of what kind of Bob Dylan fans love, you know, what are their favorite songs. So, like, your standard Dylan, you know, person uh, who doesn't know that much <laughs> about them might, like... You know, I mean, what are some like of your. Like a Rolling Stone. Yeah, like a Rolling Stone. Or even, uh, I'm forgetting his very most famous song. No, besides Like a Rolling Stone. I'm having a weirdest uh, All there. along the Watchtower. No, that's good though. But only Jimi Hendrix's version. Okay, well. Blowing in the Wind, gee whiz. Blowing in the Wind. That okay, way, yeah. so the hits. Greatest hits people. <laughs> I call them greatest hits people. Then you got yeah. super nerdy people who are like, uh, my favorite Bob Dylan song might just be. The fifteenth outtake on the nineteen eighty two sessions, where he did the harmonica backwards on verse eight or whatever. And then Which there's camp. Of,
1: do you do you fall into, Jay? Well, there's
0: a third camp, and that's somewhere in the middle. That's me. I like okay. right. I like these. Good. I think you know, like when I was in college, Dylan fans um, that I knew, <laughs> younger Dylan fans, you know, that didn't have these weird. Uh, these weird associations with Dylan being like a bum in 1971 yeah. like these these are these are great these are like way up high like at least one of them would be in my top 10 Dylan songs of all time i've never oh, made that that's list bold choice. yeah i don't know
1: how i would do that but
0: yes i don't yeah, know how i would either bold. but oh and no, i wanted to mention choice. i wanted to i just wanted to ask you a question cuz i was thinking about greatest hits albums like how far into the weeds are you with bowie that you don't even know what a greatest hit is anymore do you, like, uh, do you know, like, because especially a volume two that is not a volume one, like, I'm like, what? That song, or why wasn't that song on there? Like, I don't well, even know. there's two it.
1: types of Greatest Hits volume two. There's the Greatest Hits volume two that just picks up chronologically after volume one.
0: Right, that's not there. And this. there's
1: volume two that picks up, like, the, you know, the, the hits didn't quite make it quite as far as volume one.
0: Yeah, that's
1: which, that's... which camp is this one in?
0: This is in the latter camp. Okay. I
1: don't know, I think I know most of Bowie's... Big giant hits. Okay. I admit mean, when I got into it. Like I learned that these hits were gigantic, but you know they didn't make it onto classic radio, so I never heard them on the radio. I didn't realize they were giant hits. Yeah, stuff like that. But I don't know if I got anything okay.
0: realize. All right. I was just listening to Volume Two, and I was like, "Well, okay, so that's definitely a greatest hit, but it wasn't a hit, you know." Which makes yeah. this yeah. I, this makes this kind of like so a, it, a it, it fits the greatest part, but not the hit part. Yes. you're we saying? Hey, that's okay. good, man. Now you really yeah. hit the nail on the head. <laughs> You can quote me on that one. Uh, I forgot what you said already, but yes. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> quote it up, baby. Okay. And then he had two epic concert experiences um, after having not played since, I believe, the Isle of Wight, which we talked about in
1: 1969.
0: Yeah. So See, I do listen to you, just so you know. Uh, yeah. Boy. Thanks, <laughs> thanks man. <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, the concert for Bangladesh was George Harrison's all-star concert for the people of Bangladesh. Um, and he brought together lots of people, including like Mick Jagger and Eric Clapton and other giant stars. And of course, he was like, because they were friends, George Harrison and Bob Dylan. Uh, yeah, okay, I can see that. George Harrison, on his monster album All Things Must Pass, did a Bob Dylan song called "If Not for You." Which I don't know if it was a hit, but it's definitely a classic. That's the greatest without the hit, for sure. Um, and so they were buddies, in as far as Dylan was buddies with anyone. Um, and he asked Bob to come along for the ride, and Bob showed up for rehearsal, and Bob got spooked. Bob was like, hey man, this isn't my scene. And George was like, oh man, this, this isn't my scene either, but we've got to do it. And Bob said, eh, we'll see. And then George Harrison did not know <laughs> if he was going to show up for the concert. Does anyone ever know if Bob's going to show up? Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't know to this extreme. Like, George was, and I watched some video, a little clip on this. George was up there and he just finished some song. You know, he played the entire <laughs> thing. He was playing all this Eastern Indian music and all these crazy rock and roll songs. He was the MC. He was the promoter. He was the entire thing. And he's standing up there and he's like, I don't know this is where bob might show up but i don't know if he's going to be there and he just like picked up a guitar and started to go the next thing and all of a sudden bob dylan just walks out (laughs) and he's like oh ladies and gentlemen your friend and mine bob dylan (laughs) and then he just started to
1: play they just liverpool right there oh thank you very much
0: (laughs) 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 i've been to liverpool Uh, They played a bunch of classics They even played uh, Blown in the Wind I believe And they were very good He sounded great Like with this collection Of people Which that makes sense It's like Eric Clapton And I think Leon Russell was there It was like The greatest Rock and roll musicians Going at the time At least in this Little genre I was
1: gonna say Except for David Bowie Who is still Fairly nothing But you know We'll just You know We'll get into that
0: Well yeah But they weren't They weren't in the same circles By any means No they
1: weren't at all and Bowie was only briefly working in that scene, like pretty much in 1971.
0: Then he worked up. <laughs> oh, interesting! All right, well, <laughs> he would have fit for that year, big year. All right, so the Concert for Bang- Bangladesh came out um, as an album in 1971 as well, and Bob contributed to five songs on that. Yeah. Uh, he also played with the band, um, the band, on their right, New right. Year's it's band. Yeah. Their New the band Year's called the band. The band, yep, not a band, the. The band The band A band called The Band He did part of a concert with them On their New Year's Eve uh, Performance in New York City So technically he started before midnight And then spilled over after midnight So I don't know how you want to count that (laughs) Uh, Whatever Whatever is what I said. You've already
1: made this decision
0: I'm sure let's go with it right, we're going to go for that too Let me check Oh and he also did a whole bunch of well, not a whole bunch. He did some recordings with Allen Ginsberg, who all of a sudden oh. de- all of a sudden decided he wanted to be a musician, so he went for it. Yeah,
1: I do remember hearing about that.
0: He played with a bunch of people. Now, the um, some of stuff. we don't need to dwell too much on this because I couldn't get a hold of a lot of the recordings. I think they're all out somewhere. Um, Ginsberg does not have any control, pretty much, over his recordings. They're all out there somewhere. Um, They played this song called Vomit Express Which is just It's amazing Why
1: have I heard of this song? Oh, Vomit Express
0: It probably There's no other way (laughs) There's literally no other way Um, It it, it definitely is on YouTube Because I went back and listened to it And I just laughed and laughed It actually does not sound that bad Like it kind of sounds like Uh a little bit basement tapey and uh, Ginsburg is singing the whole time and he's not that bad. You know, he's got a real ragged, a r- real ragged glory going on it. It's just that the, the chorus includes vomit express so many times. It just makes you, it just makes you laugh. All right. Wow. Oh, okay. Right, Hold on. I'm so sorry. You ready? Uh, no, I'm not ready. I have one more thing and it's important. I'll, I'll be really fast. He okay. released his long gestating, Terrible, terrible garbage! Fire novel called Tarantula. (laughs) Um, He he wrote a novel. He did. He wrote it in 1965 to 66 during his uh, during his European tours and American tours. This is when he was on the Blonde on Blonde, um, all that stuff, or just prior to Blonde on Blonde. This is when he was at his very most subconscious, uh, you know, writing style. He was just talk about Vomit Express. He was vomiting it all (laughs) up. And he was so good at that time at taking out what was good and making it into a song. But it turned out there was this huge you know, manuscript, quote-unquote. Um, like 12 pages of it were the original manuscript for Like a Rolling Stone, which um, you know, he whittled down to be you know, this great song. But um, his manager at the time, Albert Grossman, who was a huge figure in 60s Bob, we'll get to him for sure in the future, he signed him up for the book deal and then all of a sudden I was like Dylan's writing a novel. Dylan's writing a novel. Oh, you got to see this. It's it's going to be just like his songs only better. He's a poet and all this. And Dylan didn't uh-huh. want it. he didn't want to do it, so he didn't I don't know if he eventually gave permission to put it out in 1971 or not. But it was met with just absolute critical scorn. It was quote general incomprehension and quote outright incredulity. And <laughs> Uh, here's, uh, apparently this is the worst passage of it. I'm not going to read was it. It, ever, it. Was
1: it ever, at any point, Zesty and Nugget-filled, Jake? Can I ask you that?
0: No. Maybe no. Zesty. There was no Nuggets. It was just stream of consciousness. It was just okay. him, like, writing words. You know, kind of like beat poets, but in a yeah, Dylan, oh, yeah, but in in a but yeah. in a Dylan way. You know? It was yeah. like William Burroughs, only Dylan was doing William Burroughs, kind of. <laughs> Alright, so this was voted by some magazine as, like, the worst section of a musician's novel ever or something. Here's how it goes. This is just one line. One line out of many. Now's not the time to get silly, so wear your big boots and jump on the garbage clowns. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know what he's talking about. You know know what what he's saying. (laughs) All right, so, I mean, it's kind of a minor thing. He didn't want it to come out, apparently. It had been on the black market since 1966. People were, like, making a living selling this... These black market manuscripts, uh-huh. Of tarantula. <laughs> so it's terrible, and I'll never read it, and nor should you. You're up. I, I won't. Don't
1: worry. No worry.
0: No worries. Give All me right. some. Give me some bugs. I'm gonna kick
1: things off here, Jake, with a multiple choice yes. quiz for you. Oh, I'm so ready. You ready for this? Yep. Jake, what is your favorite David Bowie
0: album? Okay. A, Hunky Dory. Uh huh. Or B, any other album by David Bowie. <laughs> Oh boy, that's not a that's not a that's not a bad question actually. I think that's a fair <laughs> question. Now, Hunky Dory is the only proper Bowie album I own. Yes, I
1: know you own one or two greatest hits. But I also know the only studio album you own by him is Hunky Dory. Which, which knowing Bowie's catalog and knowing you, I would think would be your favorite
0: album. It's extremely and so. great, and I and I and I do put it on just for fun um, because yeah. I like it a lot. I do own on. Um, iTunes or somewhere I got it. Probably not illegally, but probably illegally. <laughs> uh, Ziggy Stardust. But I like, okay. I like uh, but I Hunky Dory more. I would expect you would like Hunky Dory better. Yeah, do why not? Happens. I'll just say Hunky yeah. Dory. Why not? Yeah, alright. That's what I thought. It sounds very. It's, so, it's the rock and roll I like.
1: So, is all about Hunky Dory. But not all about Hunky Dory, because there's a lot of stuff. It was released way late in the year, so there's actually a lot of stuff going on first. So, we actually need to start with the album before Hunky Dory. The man who sold the world mm. which is considered by many to be Bowie's first great album yeah it was released yeah its original release in the America came out in November in November of 1970 but it didn't come out in the UK until April of 1971 what it' a little weird that it came out in uh, America first I I've not gotten like a clear view as to why this was there were controversial cover to it because he was wearing a dress
0: yeah I but in remember america that. they
1: just didn't release the dress cover they released like some cartoony version instead so i don't know what's going on with it anyway man sold the world tanks you know we got 69 where he where space oddity where yeah we hit. boy was like coming man the world which is a much better album than space oddity people just kind of ignored the same thing was gonna is gonna end up having in hunky dory really no one cared about it. Big until Ziggy Stardust the following year seventy two. So a lot of this is leading up to Ziggy Stardust too. Sure. You to understand this as well. So we kick off the year like I said, Man of the World came out. Um, it was kind of determined. Now the funny thing about this is you know, Man of the World is such a famous song at this point. Yeah, but it wasn't until Nirvana covered it in nineteen ninety four. Yep. For the uh, for uh, unplugged
0: for mm-hmm.
1: MTV unplugged.
0: I remember it. This well. was a pretty. It was a pretty. It has never been released as a single.
1: It was uh, a pretty obscure song from uh, for Bowie's catalog until Kurt Cobain drug it up and used it, and then all of a sudden it became this great big like song. Right and now, it shows up in all his greatest hits and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's in the previously,
1: canon now. What's that?
0: It's in his canon now.
1: Oh yeah, and previously when Man, Man of Soul, the World* was just to be skipped for best of releases, they just wouldn't even do a song off that at all because there were no hits. There are no, <laughs> no singles off the album. The, uh, the
0: no singles.
1: Folks looked at it and went, hey, there's no singles off this. So Bowie recorded a new song called Holy Holy, which he uh, which is okay. It's not great. It's okay. Um, and that was released as a single instead, but only kind of and barely. It, it just kind of like got forgotten entirely. It was re-recorded by the uh, Spider from Mars later on in the wake of the stardust I think for possible inclusion on Aladdin's ain't I want to say. And then they, we got released as a B-side somewhere, and then it's just one of his rarities out there. So that's his first single of the year is "Holy Holy," who you know nobody really cares about. So Bowie spent almost the entire year in the studio. I swear he was okay. just like studio, studio, studio all the time. Um, on very few performances, he did you know maybe uh, less than ten performances for the whole like, closer to five. He uh, one of the interesting things too is early in 1971 he starts demoing like. Madhouse And he's demoing a pair Essentially All of Hunky Dory Or almost all of Hunky Dory And about half of Ziggy Stardust At
0: the same time Whoa Like Ziggy Stardust Has actually started Be recording and stuff Including several Key pieces
1: in there And mentioning Ziggy Stardust Like this idea Is obviously In his brain somewhere Ziggy Stardust Being a sort of a Concept album Like this is all Coming together And you're wow. demoed About half of Ziggy Stardust And then moved into Hunky Dory instead And I kind of like Took
0: over have And you, went back to it Later on Have you heard those demos?
1: I've heard some of them.
0: Are they some good? Some of them are
1: floating around. And they're, they're decent. I mean, okay. they're interesting. We're going to get more into this as well, too.
0: Just to all mind. right, all right.
1: Because another key part of 1971 for Bowie is he, I think we mentioned the 69, he really had no clue which, in what way he was going to be a famous person. Like, he was trying all kinds of junk out all the time. Right. And he finally, you know, we talked about mime. Sweet, sweet mime.
0: Oh, who could forget? doing cabaret
1: stuff and looking at all kinds (laughs) of different stuff and poetry and who knows what he was thinking about doing. He definitely moved solidly into music. There's no question anymore there's going to be music, especially in the wake of the success of Space Oddity. But he kind of like, I don't know if he envisioned himself as kind of like an Andy Warhol figure. Like making people famous and being at the center of all this stuff, just this whirlwind of stuff going on around him.
0: Sure. You know, I think he, I can I think he pictured
1: himself, like, you know, starting his own Velvet Underground and stuff. So he's picking up people left and right. You know, he's honestly like picking up people who live down the street from him and bringing them into his BBC sessions and stuff. Like that literally <laughs> happened. Yeah. Um, and having them sing on some of his songs and stuff. And he's got, so he's got a few different irons in the fire and a few different like pseudo bands going on around him. So the first one worth mentioning is Rano. And it's especially important to mention because it features our old pal Ooh, Mick Ronson.
0: That's yes, Mick.
1: Rano comes from Ronson. And so <laughs> it presumably oh. was a band that would have been fronted by Mick Ronson or something. I don't know. It never really came off. They're mentioned in one of the BBC sessions as being as back and as Rano. And uh, it had two thirds of what would be the Spiders from Mars.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, Including Rano himself.
1: Including Rano, including Ranson, yes. Sweet, sweet Mick Ranson. That a a I'm proud of Mick. Mick
0: Mick Mick. Mick, Mick, I've got to tell you though, that is a terrible band name, Mick. Ronald's terrible. Bad band name. Your first who knows? name he fantastic to, he call like it
1: to give his early bands give the members of his early bands weird nicknames and probably called you Ronald for a little while.
0: Why don't you call it anyway, Mick? Call it Mick Just call it Mick. Call but it Mick
1: the, the eight mix And then find <laughs> six more mix are just out on the street You're just The first six of blokes you knock into They're
0: big, the <laughs> Oi, Mick, Mick, Mick Oi, oi, Mick, Mick, Mick,
1: Mick
0: Mick, you Mick, Mick Anyway
1: Rando didn't do anything But they do announce at one point In a BBC session that they're, they're about to record an album And I'm sure Bowie believed That was going to happen Because he believed That everybody was He had so many plans That never came to fruition He talked about them
0: all yeah, the time well, Especially in his early career Some of them panned out. So up. much
1: stuff he was going to get around to doing That was going to do next And it never happened So we got that we have uh, Dana Gillespie, which was... She got some tiny level of fame. But he was recording with her and wrote some songs for her, including uh, Andy Warhol, which ended up being on Hunky Dory. He really yes. wrote that for her. She did her own version of it, which is quite different Ooh. and really interesting The Boy performs on. And it was never officially released. It came out on a promo, and then it came out on her, her album didn't come out until, like, 75 or something. So his version beat hers. He... Uh, he had most maybe most notably from the year is a band called Arnold Corns. What? And uh, it largely was just people he knew and it had his like this fashion designer he really liked, who ended up designing a lot of the Ziggy Stardust outfits and Aladdin Stane outfits. Okay. Was gonna be the lead singer. But it's I don't know if he ever actually appeared in any of the tracks. Like <laughs> Bowie just sang them anyway. Okay. And so Arnold Corns released two singles and they're extremely notable because the two songs are Moon Age Daydream, it was one single and Hang On To Yourself is another single, both of which were re-recorded much better and much more notably, and put on Ziggy Stardust the following year.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So Bowie's recycling himself a lot at this period. There's a lot of like re-recording and stuff and re yeah, and stuff. sure. And it's weird Arnold Korn things, because the Arnold Korn's thing just like came about, and they did these sessions, and there's, this is one of those sessions that's out there somewhere, and I found quite a few of the demos and stuff. And two other songs, there were some b-sides in that being released in different capacities, but it was just this weird thing, like, what was he trying to do at this point? He could have released the singles himself. I mean, it was just him. Yeah. And, you know, and some other people backing It was just, he was just trying stuff and really like, he wanted to make people stars or something. I think he was, yeah I don't know, it's kind of this Andy Warhol thing. I don't know. Yeah, that does make sense. So he's got this, uh, he, you know, he was married in 1970 to mm. his first wife, Angela, and they uh, they got this apartment, this flat in this old mansion that was cut up into weird apartments. And their apartment <laughs> that they got had the, uh, like the grand staircase for the mansion was in there. Yeah, They go up the staircases, but then all the doors were locked because those were somebody else's apartments. Weird. So they had this weird, big, crazy Victorian apartment, and just all these people coming through having something to do with Bowie would all end up living and sleeping yeah. in, their, in their place. And this all would just
0: happen. That sounds terrible. And it's called Hatton Hall. <laughs>
1: And there's I just read there's a, a graphic novel called Head and Hall that came out recently that I want to read. It sounds really interesting. But just this whole weird Victorian place. Like it just fits yeah. his period
0: of the time. Yeah, for sure.
1: So like I said, he had two pretty choice BBC sessions from okay. the period from the, from the year. One of which he brought out I think he did now, I don't know how many early seventies BBC sessions you've listened to, Jake. few. Uh, the commentators are really quite
0: entertaining. Oh, yeah. They sure are. And they're
1: all, they're all, they're, all, they're all extremely dry, I look like this, and they say things like, ooh, that was, it was very tasty, very tasty indeed. <laughs> mm, yo, yeah. Hey, oh, I, oh, I, really like that, I really, I really enjoyed that. Ooh, ooh, yes, Oh my, oh, Anyway, we got, we got David Bowie coming on with a truly astounding number of friends coming on right now. Uh, and, uh, and, and these are, these are part of a group called Rano, and, uh, and this is, uh, Benny Marshall. Uh, they told me to call him Benny Marshall, but, oh,
0: that's not a real name. Oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's
1: really, it's really great. Chaz, this it's is now... Really, I really love early 70s BBC comedy. This is nerders. my,
0: just... this is my, now my favorite impression you've ever done. <laughs> By far. Uh, happy to oblige. Happy really, to oblige. It's really, it's really good. Ooh, <laughs> what is he, what is he, miming? I don't know <laughs> Is he miming. Oh, truly, truly fantastic it was, miming. It's
1: very, very tasty indeed. Oh, okay, going along with this, that Bowie, you know, he wrote a lot of songs and tried to farm them out to people early in his career, and he kind of was done with that by this time. But somewhere in there, Peter Noon, do you know who Peter Noon is? Uh,
0: no, maybe.
1: he's fr- He was from Hermit, uh, oh, Herman's Hermits. Herman's, Herman's
0: Hermits. Herman's Hermits. Yeah, I know them.
1: This, yeah, oh, yeah. So he, Peter Noon, from Herman's Hermits, was working on a solo career, which was actually doing pretty well for him.
0: Oh, and he ended there up recording
1: uh, two of Bowie's songs. Oh. One of which is called Mother Right On. <laughs> which really no one cares about It was just recorded by him But the other of which Was Oh You Pretty Things Which oh. also appeared On Hunky Dory And he had like A big hit with, from it in over that summer
0: Wow You know oh, that is Oh You pretty, pretty
1: Things Which is a really strange Like I mean it's one of Bowie's You know kind of like Looking at I don't know Apocalyptic pseudo Superman, <laughs> Yeah Probably a whole bunch Of homosexual references Yeah, for but sure No one can For sure I mean, that's the impression I had gotten But yeah. people have different Readings of this song I'm assuming it's a whole bunch Of homosexual references Yeah And so this like Squeaky clean Peter Doon Is singing this song Yeah, he left out Some of the more uh, Salty language, we'll say But, that's... uh
0: that's one of my favorite Bowie weird. songs of all time is Oh You Pretty. Wow. Well, I love that one. Give
1: yourself a listen to Peter Noon's version and all right. scratch your head in confusion. I'm going to write it down. The It'll be great.
0: Peter Noon's.
1: There's Peter Noon with the E at the end of noon. Um, Thank you. What else? In May of that year, Bowie's first son, first child. He only has two kids. His first child, Duncan, Zoe Jones. Time called Zoe as in. Zoe Bowie Because apparently That's something you do When you date David Bowie Yeah In 1971 Definitely uh, Was born on May 30th
0: Into this crazy he, house Like that's where the, that's, yo,
1: Apparently is
0: presumably Wow Nuts I,
1: Assuming I don't know Bowie and Angela's marriage Was not Maybe the I don't know It was a very open marriage ah. And I don't know It was I don't know Anyway Bowie only has two kids One born in 1971 The other born in 2000
0: Holy buckets
1: Fun facts here.
0: Super anyway, he facts. is
1: actually a pretty, pretty well-respected director. Oh, Duncan Jones these days. Yeah, Duncan Jones. Yeah, he seems like a good old guy. Anyway, uh, another song from Hunky Dory, The Kooks. Oh. Was written like <laughs> days after the Duncan Jones was born, and also appears On Hunky Dory. So there you go. I'm getting through like almost all the Hunky Dory songs right now. It's great.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's good to mention so, the songs.
1: Good mix them. In if you can.
0: Way. Again. I never so after that, that June
1: much. through August, he spends actually recording "Hunky Dory" for good. Um, at least one song that ends up on Ziggy Stardust is recorded at the time too, but uh, that ends up later on. Other notable things from the year: September, he takes a trip to America. Uh, it's a promotional tour, but he doesn't have he doesn't have a green card to perform. Oh, so he's just well, like doing interviews and stuff. But it's more noticeable because he meets, in New York, he gets some connections there, he meets Andy Warhol,
0: Whoa, first of all. nice.
1: Apparently it was a really awkward.
0: Oh, that sounds great.
1: Uh, <laughs> the Andy Warhol song was, had not been released yet, so probably Warhol didn't know about that yet. Um, but if I heard that about Andy Warhol, it was really kind of off-putting and really...
0: yeah. People- I heard that, like too. Like, he was
1: not an easy person to talk to, to understand. know,
0: it made you wonder, like, awkward, what right? all these artists, you know, were doing, like, hanging around, except maybe to use him for something. Like, he was a really weird Yeah, dude. I
1: don't know. Because he didn't sound like Yeah, He sounded like he was pretty awkward. Yep. So, apparently, they had nothing to say to each other until Andy Warhol, but Andy Warhol liked Bowie's shoes. Mm. That's that's how the anecdote goes. <laughs> they had, like some silver platform shoes or something, and like Andy Warhol liked shoes. them, and made a comment about it. Great. Other notable meeting of the year was Lou Reed.
0: Oh, Lou, Lou Reed! Reed. And
1: Bowie was a big early fan of Velvet Underground. Okay, like before their first album was even released, he was a real His cool manager guy. Had been in New York and had gotten a hold of an acetate of it or something, and brought it back. and Bowie was covering, uh, waiting for my, uh, waiting for my man.
0: Oh wow! And, um,
1: Nineteen sixty-eight or something. I think it was sixty-eight. I think it was before the album was even released. He was covering it,
0: so for so all that the, was a big deal. So for all the people Reed who were was, like, "I was there at the beginning," but oh, it was yeah, like, like, "I so was actually there at the beginning." This is the
1: maximum hipster credit. The album wasn't even released. Yeah. and he was
0: already a fan, wow. you know, and talking about him.
1: Uh, so they got they made a connection there. Be more in connection later on because uh, Reed, you know, belt underground were done by this point. And Reed's career was solo career was not really going anywhere. Wow! And Bowie would end up co-producing Transformers.
0: I was gonna say it, so went, very, it went somewhere soon. Me, not so
1: very long with uh, with Mick Ronson's help. Mick, Mick, and the last big meeting, important meeting of that trip was Iggy Pop. He met Iggy Pop then. Wow!
0: All in the likewise, same trip. He
1: would end up. He'd end up mixing, and he was supposed to produce, and he didn't end up producing. At the up, he was uh, end up mixing Raw well, Power. Or
0: wow! Or really? Yeah. He did?
1: And that hit up. Yeah, but we did that. He was supposed to produce it, and he pop wouldn't let him. <laughs> and then later he on, came up, became like Best Buddies in the 1977. They released a couple monumental albums together. So, sure
0: there thing. you go. Yeah.
1: Other things, September performance uh, at the Aylesbury Friars. There's mm. a full bootleg out there, which I listened to. It's not that great, I'll be honest. But it's notable because it was the first full appearance of The Spiders from Mars.
0: Wow.
1: The Spiders from Mars being in Nick Ronson Mick, Trevor Boulder Trevor And Woody Woodmansey
0: Woody 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 Woody
1: Whose real first name Is Mick. <laughs> no it's I not. want to make sure you know that
0: Yes <laughs> so, There are two, two Micks In the Spiders from Mars So friends. what you're saying is His full name is Mick Woody 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 Wooderson <laughs>
1: No Woody Wooderson Based on his last name, which was Woodmanzy.
0: Woodmanzy. So Mick Woodman-Z. Woody Woodmanzy.
1: Mick Woodmanzy,
0: yes. Quote Woody.
1: Finally, we got up to November where he started recording Ziggy Stars, or the rise and fall of Ziggy Stars and Spiders from Mars. Oh, wow, all in the same year. At least once in this podcast. And then uh, Hunky Dory Dory's released in December. Wow. And so that really comes more of 1972 since it wasn't released until then. Although that one was largely ignored at the time, also.
0: What? Ziggy Stardust was?
1: No, Hunky Dory was. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, 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 for sure. No, we really
1: care. Then Ziggy Stardust came out, and that was a giant, huge hit right away. Okay. And then okay. everyone started looking back at his four previous albums and
0: caring about three of them. Okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> there's at least <laughs> there's at least one Mick on each record. This is good.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, Mick Ronson's on uh, On So of the World too, so you know.
0: Well, of course he is. He's Mick.
1: All right, so I got to wrap things up with the yeared hair.
0: Oh yes, let me write Another it down. Good
1: one, Jake. <laughs> so, 1971. I know this is your favorite part, so I just—I I just save it for the end. Thank you. Your hair for 1971 was long, flowing locks. Yep, I've seen Press that. Press from the period make frequent mentions of his resemblance to Lauren Bacall.
0: Yep. <laughs> and
1: and Greta Garbo.
0: <laughs> oh, the Garbo.
1: So there's your Garbo connection.
0: Garbology. Right
1: Garbology, that's what I was thinking about this. I mean, Dylanology, garbology. I was thinking of credit garbology. You should have thought of... Low- flowing locks. Actual and garbage. Apparent. He wore makeup, a lot of eyeshadow and stuff at
0: the time. Yep, 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 Break yep.
1: clean shaven. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a lot of, like, big floppy hats and Very stuff. feminine. Oh, very feminine, yes, yes. And you can tell from the cover. I mean, that's you can see some of his hair there. Oh, yeah. it's this look that continued off of Bandits of the World, where he's actually wearing a dress on the cover.
0: Right. So I there you go. I always thought... Out of all of his guises, you know, all of his yeah. like outrageous androgynous things that he yeah. always did. Like that one, that little period was actually the most like off-putting for whatever reason. Like he just oh, yeah? looked like a professional woman. Like he he like wore yeah, pe- he, he, he like he wore pantsuits like and drag. Stuff.
1: Like all the time. When yes. He wasn't, but yeah, it was just. But
0: it's he just very... looks like a normal woman, and it's like, oh. I mean, if you didn't know who he was and he was just walking down the street, you might almost think, like, oh.
1: You might think he was only. Yeah. Totally.
0: And his. Uh, I can see his... why people were upset, even though it's weird to oh, yeah. think that would be upsetting.
1: Yes. And so his stage persona kind of like, I knew that. He was very effeminate and very. very soft and very. Oh yeah. Yes, and then David Bowie and blah, blah 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 And, you know, and, and these little <laughs> anecdotes and telling these stories and stuff. They don't really land. And so it's kind of it's funny, as I, I was telling my my wife Claudia not so long ago, is that Ziggy Stardust actually is him butching up in a big way, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. Like, but he it, is. Yeah. So like he really butches up for Ziggy. Ziggy Stardust is very like in your face and very. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's a very different persona. But he's definitely like playing, experimenting with all of this stuff at the time. He's he's definitely the gender bending thing is in there pretty early in his uh, in his career.
0: Yeah, and for sure. Really like
1: really comes out and sees so stars. But it's all there that. So long fling locks. It actually, I think he kind of pulls off.
0: Yeah, he looks good. Give
1: it, yeah, I'm gonna give it maybe a, a four out of yeah, five. Yeah, I would well, give it. You yeah, know, for yeah. the average person, it wouldn't do it high. But for Bowie, it's a pretty good one.
0: Well, yeah, he'd be a real weirdo on the street in that, but at the time, probably. At the time, yes. Now yeah, at I the time. No, place, no, no, you no. Know? But different time in 1971. Absolutely. Right in Great Britain.
1: In Great Britain.
0: In Great all right, Britain. we have
1: to count up some points. I think Let's I do like it. We're, uh, we're running
0: along tonight. Uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. I promise. Let's. All right. Uh, all right so I'm going to count on my Dylan points here. Uh, so Dylan put out the album Greatest Hits. Oh, for the listeners who aren't tuned in or clued in. <laughs> We have a convoluted, ever-changing, totally arbitrary point system by which we determine supremacy for each year that we talk about between our yes. So I'm going to do Dylan's points. His album was Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Now, normally for a Greatest Hits collection, we allot 1.0. Um, and for major archival releases, we allot 3.0. In this case, I'm going to split the difference because there are five new songs. It's sounds. a combination of the two? It's a combo of the two. It's the greatest hits, but it's also a showcase of some of his best uh, work, which was new at the time. So I'm giving it a full 2.0. Okay. Or a half, I don't know. The in-betweener. His singles, Watching the River Flow, great. Kind of a mid-period Dylan classic. I'm giving that a 1.0. And then our good friend, George Jackson, which he released, this was interesting, I thought. He released a... Uh, the A side was the electric version of George Jackson, and the B okay. side was an acoustic version of George Jackson. Okay, so which, which is better? Oh, the acoustic by far.
1: Okay, good to know.
0: Um, and I could not actually find the electric version online. Hmm. And I looked, um, you know, on YouTube, which that's about the best I can do. <laughs> I'm not much of a, um, you know, a digger when it comes to that stuff, but I couldn't find it on YouTube. Too bad. Anyway, I think it's questionable enough in its politics, despite being a very good song. Um, I'm going to give it a a plus 0.5. Okay,
1: seems fair enough.
0: Okay, seems fair. His tour, uh, which was just these two kind of epic performances, which were both captured on um, records that later came out. They're both good. I really like the concert for Bangladesh more than the band one, but the band one's just fine. So I'm going to give the entire tour 1.0. And then, setting fire to his really good score is Tarantula. Despite him not wanting it to come out, despite him never thinking that it was a novel or a book or anything like that, it it came out. He must have given some sort of permission for this. I'm sure he just wanted the whole thing to be over. He was like, fine, you you guys here, just take it get it out of here like scorn me for a couple of months and then it'll all disappear um so i'm giving it a negative 1.0 womp womp <laughs> sorry all right, what we, what that up okay
1: here?
0: so that totals right. up to 3.5 so right. for a supposedly fallow year i'd say you did pretty good
1: that's pretty solid yeah yeah no complaint, no yeah. yeah all right so bowie i mean the crowning Achievement of 1971 is clearly the album Hunky Dory, Definitely. which is widely regarded one of his very best albums of all time. For sure, uh, I was looking at uh, what best albums ever. That's oh like, yeah, uh huh. It was it was it was termed to be number three for
0: 1971. Wow, that's a that's a big for
1: 1971. It's a big for 1971. Um, and a lot of in, the, in the in the 1970s. It was pretty far up there. I want to say it's top twenty for 1970s. It's widely regarded as his best album after. Uh, the rise and fall of Stars and, and the spiders from Mars. So number two I ever. A, I personally have a little bit different favorites, but it's still one sure. of my top. I'd say it's probably number five favorite
0: for me. Wow. Dory,
1: it's a really good album. Okay. Um, it's very kind of. I didn't talk much about the sound, the uh, style. It's arguably his most Dylan-esque album.
0: Yeah, yeah. it'd be up
1: there with yeah. Space Oddity. that would be the only other one that like, that could compete.
0: Yeah, it's, it's less more acoustic. It's more less psychedelic. Funky. Um,
1: it's very piano-driven. Mm-hmm. Like listening to it, I, I keep realizing more and more how much piano is on it. There's just tons, but it's very like singer-songwriter mode. And for him, when the other months between demoing and re-recording all that stuff? That isn't his normal way. Um, but we, especially later on, tended to write things really fast okay. in the studio a lot of the time.
0: Oh wow, okay. Uh,
1: and that's not what happened here. It's very much a singer-songwriter album, which is not how he normally works. Uh, it's notable for. Uh, two really Gigantic songs By him um, First Changes One of his biggest Most important songs Of all time.
0: Uh yeah <laughs>
1: The second Life on Mars One of his biggest Most important songs Of all time yeah. Recently voted By Pitchfork As the number one song Of the 70s What? Is,
0: Life on Mars? Yeah Dude kind of those strange? people are I Thinking way Don't too much I do too But come on man
1: But but I don't know I don't
0: have I, I mean I guess you got have no
1: clue How you term The best song of a no, decade No they're like just I can't. I can't do it of the year I have no clue Anyway They're
0: just both gigantic, up Both gigantic amazing
1: songs Neither one of which Actually released as a single In 1971 so There's no points for either of us Oh bummer. Changes was released Cause since uh, "Hunky Dory It wasn't released until the very end of the year
0: the Yeah right
1: December Changes was the lead single But wasn't released Until after the album came out Which is a weird thing but. Nice So that's in 1972 Life on Mars came out In 73 In the wake of the giant that he started his popularity. Wow. So, both of those are on there. Other notice, notable things is he did some you know pretty strong homages on this album. Um, and the song Andy Warhol, being about Andy Warhol, sure. is, is right in there. He's got a song called, Now we're, we're always keeping things kind of PG with our language, so we'll just, you'll, you can figure out what I'm saying. It's got a song called "Queen Bee" on there. <laughs> yes, I know. I remember this that. It's meant one. for for dads who are listening to this while their kids are playing in the background. Come I on, think, Dad! I feel like it's one of our target demographics. So I dads it... and moms, we should say. Uh, which is clearly a Lou Reed "Velvet Underground" homage. Like it sounds like it could be a Lou Reed song.
0: I'm not to go um, back and listen.
1: It's to a this. really good song. And the last and most notably for you, Jake, is of course "Song for Bob Dylan" appears in *Hunky Dory*. Yes, it does. In which he kind of jumps on that whole like liber. It sounds like he's jumping on the whole liberation league thing, like.
0: Yeah, it's pretty.
1: Give us back, uh, liberty, right? Yeah. You know, the lyrics to the song because I want to go into it, but you know, like that's how it comes across. But then you kind of feel like towards the end, Bowie's probably kind of skewering things a little bit, and then Bowie also seems to suggest in the song that maybe if Bob won't do it, that he himself will just stand up and take care of things.
0: Go for, for it. For. Go for it.
1: Which, with Hunky Dory, he kind of does, you know? Hunky Dory, it's a good album. Yep. Anyway, lots well, of good stuff there. It's a great album. It's a really good album. Way to go. I'm giving it a four out of a Ooh, total five, woo-hoo.
0: possible five. Hot it's Daddy. A,
1: it's a monster.
0: It's a really good album. Yep, what that's, I? Like that's I said, fair.
1: Like it's top five of uh, David Boy's albums for me. Uh, as for singles, he has three weird singles that don't connect to Hunky Dory at all. First of all, ben. he has Holy Holy, which was the non-album signal released to promote the Man of the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he has the two Arnold Korns singles, yeah. Mini J. J Dream and Hang on to Yourself, both of which are decent but really just notable and interesting because they got on Ziggy starters later on. Yeah, so I'm given zero points to Holy Holy. Okay, I'm given a half a point to Mini J Dream and Hang on to Yourself, both because they're. They're good songs They're just both better On the East so For it's, sure.
0: you got a 1.0 Total for your singles Or is 0.5 yes, yes correct Okay
1: So we end up with a total For 1971 Of 5 points for Bowie Okay Clinching a pretty solid victory
0: Pretty solid Yeah you gotta have those albums Over That's what it's all about period. Gotta have that album The classic oh, albums man, Are gonna album score so It's, so it's great It's so good Agreed I'm gonna go I didn't have time In the last couple of weeks But I'm gonna go And listen to it again I'm kinda Excited to do it's so. It's good. I will. I will do that.
1: It was a nice break after the last last episode's
0: nineteen eighty nine. It wasn't a tin machine. It was a real
1: palate cleanser. It was real nice. Yeah. So Jake, this is normally the part of the show in which we announce what we're gonna do next time and we did not uh, talk about what we're wow, doing. Wow, we time. didn't.
0: I didn't even think about that.
1: So I thought about it like five minutes into the show when it was too late to start. We're gonna stop recording.
0: So we'll just uh, we'll talk. It'd be a surprise. Okay. You know, just a exciting. big exciting surprise for all the, the it's listeners just gonna, at home. It's Episode just gonna, nine, you don't know what's happening. It's just so. going to drop, and everyone's going to be like, "What?
1: Oh, she they really picked anyway. that year! Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like that. It'd be great."
0: All right. So as the my unfortunate
1: part is, usually by this time we kind of like start doing the next episode. We both get excited about it. I'm very we start exci- talking a lot about it. I know we can't do that this time. I do because get excited we'll just have about to end the show instead.
0: I get excited about the next episode as we're ending the first episode. I know,
1: like I want to start just go like, off and start researching.
0: Ooh. Um, okay. So as our sign off tonight, I'm going to um, I'm going to remind the listeners, Chaz, all of them, that now's not yeah. the time to get silly. So wear your big boots. And jump on the garbage clowns. <laughs> I'm gonna remind
1: all the listeners to <laughs> check out www to check out our hand curated Spotify playlist for yeah, every single episode with music from or, or related to, not always from that year, but related to the year in which we uh, we talked about things. And did right. things. And to uh, check us out on iTunes. On iTunes. Yeah,
0: we're big time. Just
1: we're big time, that's right
0: Big time So They don't take anybody I'm gonna
1: say uh, yes. I'm Charlie I like Bowie And See you next time I mean, By see you I mean not see you Because it's a podcast
0: And we'll Talk uh, to you next time And you
1: listen to me next time I'm gonna go
0: I'm Jake And I want you Listeners to think about What was more incomprehensible Tarantula Or what Charlie Just said <laughs> Goodbye Could be either one